Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Glad's Hidings this morning. Thank you so much for worshiping with us again online. Uh, we are so thankful and privileged and honored that you would uh, listen in and share uh, in this worship experience with us. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to share the Word of God with you, but let's begin and just invite God's presence uh, to be with us, to speak to us, to challenge us, and, and to transform us this morning. And uh, after we pray, I have a few things I just want to share with you real quickly, and then we'll jump right into the Word of God, and we'll have a time of worship uh, at the end this morning. So let's just invite God's presence. Father, thank you so much for uh, your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, that you order our steps. And the situation that we find ourselves in today is not a surprise to you. Uh, you have not vacated your throne. You are still in absolute sovereign control. And because of that, we can trust you and have hope for the future. We're excited about what uh, you are going to do in the days that are ahead. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, expand the kingdom uh, in our community and in the surrounding communities and worldwide. We believe, God, that there is revival coming to your church, and we want to be a part of that. So I just pray in these next few moments as we share together in your word that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us. I pray, God, that you would captivate the attention of everyone watching this morning. And may the word of the Lord change us and transform us for your glory. I pray, God, for your anointing to rest upon the ministry of your word, not, again, because I deserve it or have earned it, but because, Lord, to rightly divide your word, I need that today. So would you speak through me, and may our hearts and lives be changed, touched, and brought closer to you in these moments that we share together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you have them there this morning, to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just remind you or tell you about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we'll be getting a letter to you later in the week, um, about midway through the week, hopefully, that we'll have kind of our rollout plan, uh, what we are anticipating as far as when we'll be able to come back together and worship, what that's going to look like. And uh, hopefully we'll have that to you. Um, later on in the week. And I also want to tell you about two very exciting things that have happened. First of all, as you know, we planted a church in October uh, in Dunkirk, and um, we have plans now for uh, the new church building there, and we're going to begin working on that uh, very quickly, uh, talking about um, how to move forward with that and bringing a team of people together that will help lay out um, uh, the timetable for that. We're hoping this summer we'll be building a building there in Dunkirk. And we also, as those of you who are members know, because you've already received a letter, we have a, an accepted offer on a building in Hartford City, uh, right on Highway 3 North, just north of town, uh, that will be the location of our plant in Hartford City, where Pastor Josh and Angel will be planting, hopefully launching in October. And uh, so we're excited about that. He'll be talking about that just briefly in a few moments um, after the message about if you are interested in being involved in that team there. But we're excited about that. So both of those church plants, part of our ECIA initiative, are coming together. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for praying for God's direction, uh, that we make the right decisions. And thank you for your uh, generosity as we have continued to move forward with both of these 
church plants. Even in the midst of this time, uh, God is blessing and meeting our need, and so we're thankful for that. I want to read to you the same text that we read last week. This is part two of uh, this series, When We All Pull Together. I want to read the same text we read last week, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Look at verse 24. This will be where we will really camp out for a few moments today. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you were listening in last Sunday, you remember that I talked about in the opening part of the message, a little children's church song that we used to sing here at Glad Tidings when I was growing up. And I don't think I'll sing it to you again, but the words went, when we all pull together, 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 when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. For your work is my work, and our work is God's work. When we all pull together, how happy we'll be. We were taught that as youngsters, we would stand in little circles, hold hands, and swing our arms. And, but as much fun as we had with that song, we were being taught a very important theological truth. And that is that for the body of Christ, the church, the people of God to be effective... We have to recognize the value of one another and work together and pull together to accomplish what God has called us to. I also shared this quote with you last week from the Polish priest, Mersolaw Malinsky. And he wrote, it's easiest to see the cross on Jesus' shoulders. It's a bit harder with our neighbor's cross. Most difficult of all is seeing our own cross. And sometimes even more difficult to see, the sh- the, see it on the shoulders of a congregation, especially our own congregation. Linsky ended by saying, yet cross-bearing is for the body of Christ as well as the individual. The theme of this series, when we all pull together, is a theme of cross-bearing. It is a theme of unity and shared responsibility. Both Malinsky's quote and the words of this song remind us of the importance of oneness in the body of Christ, us working together as the people of God. This is certainly the focus of the attention of the author of Hebrews. Over and over, he says, let us, let us, let us. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but exhort one another. It's all about the body. It's all about the people of God. One of the things we talked about last week is that though we know that in our minds, theologically, too often in the church today, it is about my own individual walk with Christ. We say things like, well, my Bible tells me or the God that I serve or Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. All of those things, not that they are inappropriate or wrong, but they 
remind us and they point to a fact that maybe we don't fully understand what it means to be the people of God. Last week's message, we talked about the call to endurance or perseverance. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to hold on without wavering. And we noted that that holding on without wavering, that endurance or perseverance is not just an individual responsibility. It is a corporate responsibility. We are charged to hold on without wavering together as the people of God. I shared with you last Sunday four principles of endurance. Hebrew word is hupomone, patience, perseverance. We talked about, first of all, that, that um, in last week's message, that this is a shared responsibility that we have to warn one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pursue peace, and to care for one another. We talked about the fact that this endurance, this holding on without wavering, needs to exceed the failed endurance try of those who have gone before. The writer of Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians and reminding them that their forefathers did not endure in the wilderness. When things got tough, they shrunk back, they gave up, they quit. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to do better than that. You need to exceed the failed endurance of those who went before. We also talked about the fact that this endurance or this hupomone or this perseverance is that which was modeled by Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus, since we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He modeled endurance for us, and so we are to focus our attention on him. And then finally, we talked about this endurance flows out of a position that has been granted to us. This is the one I want to hone in on today. Endurance flows out of a position or a relationship that has been given to us. So what is that position? What is that relationship? Writer of Hebrews says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to look at this, enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, look, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the blood of Jesus, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish Christians. The blood of Jesus has made a way for us to enter in close to God, to to draw near to him, to enjoy a relationship of intimacy with God. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the veil was torn in two and believers from that day forward were allowed to come near to God. And that's where we are today. We can enjoy the presence of Jesus every day. We don't need a priest to get us to God. We don't earn it by our righteousness. It's not our good works. We don't have to prove to God that we deserve it because we don't. It's the blood of Jesus. It's his goodness. It's his righteousness. It's his grace. We can come near to him to worship and to pray. We can abide with him. That's the position from which this call to hold on without wavering 
emerges. This coming near to him, drawing near to him is what worship really is. The American church has um, really shortened or made thinner the understanding of worship. It's more than singing a few songs. It's more than what we do for 20 or 30 minutes on Sunday when we're all standing and our hands are clapped and raised. Worship is a lifestyle. As a matter of fact, uh, Chris Collins says, biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands to God who is and, and to who God is and to what he has done. Biblical worship is not singing a few choruses at the beginning of the service. It is the full life response. It is all of me, my head, my heart, my hands, all of me giving to God and worshiping him for who he is and for what he has done. Chris Collins isn't too far off. It's uh, what Jesus said, you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. We are to draw near. We are to worship him with all of us, draw near with a heart of faith, having our bodies cleansed with pure water and our consciences washed and sprinkled. But this position of worship, being in his presence, this is what I want to talk about, is to be selfless. It's not about the song I like. It's not about worship is for me. It's about selfless worship. Notice again in verse 24, let us consider one another. See, we are told to hold on without wavering in that position of intimacy. And we are told to consider one another in order to stir them up to love and good works. This is the context of drawing near. It's worship. So I want to focus on considering one another. So as we draw near and we do it with a a, a heart of faith and full assurance and confidence, as we do that, the writer of Hebrews says, consider one another. Three areas of consideration are all very simple. We'll move very quickly through them. Number one, I should consider who I am worshiping with. I should consider who I am worshiping with. There's 11 Greek words in the New Testament translated in the English, consider. Four of them are simple verbs. Seven of them are compounded for emphasis. I'll just give this to you real quickly. The first verb is in Acts 15, 6, and the word consider means to seriously observe a matter. In Acts 12, 12, that same verb is compounded to mean to seriously consult with oneself about a matter, to really look at it, to consider The second verb that is used is found in Hebrews 7, 4 for consider, and it means careful deliberation, very similar. When it's compounded in Hebrews 13, 7, it means to diligently review something, to really look it over. A third verb for consider is found in Galatians 6, 1. It means to narrowly spy as a watchman. It's in Galatians 6, 1, if your brother is overtaken in fault, you who are spiritual are to restore them. If you see your brother overtaken in fault. And the fourth verb is found in 2 Timothy 2, 7, for consider. It means to turn a matter over in one's mind. To kind of run it through over and over, to replay it. 
That same verb is compounded in, in Acts eleven six. It means to thoroughly weigh a matter or to ascertain full knowledge of something or someone. There's another compounded verb in Mark six fifty two that means to compare things together, to consider two things together. Another is found in Hebrews twelve three that means to reckon up or to add all things together. In John eleven fifty, there was another Hebrew word that means to reckon thoroughly. Matthew 6, 28, the last one means to learn from what we see. It's when Jesus said, consider the lilies. Look at them, learn something from them. All of these verbs, all of these Hebrew verbs are translated with one English word, consider. But in the text in Hebrews eleven twenty four, let us consider one another. It means this, to thoroughly weigh a matter, to ascertain the full knowledge of something or someone. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us fully ascertain, let us gain a lot of knowledge about something or someone. And in this case, it is one another. Let us really consider one another. Peter in his vision about the house of Cornelius said about the dream or the vision that he had when I observed it intently and I considered. That is, I tried to ascertain all the knowledge about it that I could. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, that when we are called into worship, when we are called to draw near into the presence of God, it is a communal activity because we are to consider, we are to thoroughly ascertain, we are to know the people that we are worshiping with. What are we to consider? We are to know, first of all, that I, like them, have no personal merit that allows me to be in this sacred place. When I'm worshiping with the body of Christ, it's easy for me to look over and see someone else and think, I'm not sure why they're here. I am called to consider that they are just like I am. Neither one of us have any merit that gives us a right to be here. I need to know, secondly, that they, like me, have insecurities and worries and anxieties about their own unworthiness that might have some unusual masks. Sometimes we judge and are critical of someone so quickly. But the writer of Hebrews says, when you worship together, consider one another. Realize that they, too, have insecurities. They, too, don't feel all that worthy. They may mask it with arrogance or pride. They may mask it with an unfeeling attitude. But the reality is we are to consider one another. We're all alike. None of us deserve his presence. And all of us have insecurities. And we are also to know that they, like me, have been created by God for the very purpose of worship and to excel at good works. We look around the church sanctuary and we see people, we're to consider them. They are like I am. They also have been created by God for a very special purpose. John the Revelator heard in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, around the throne, those singing, thou art worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Everyone else that gathers has been created for the same purpose, and that is to worship him. And they've all been created for good works. Isaiah 43 and 21, this people have I formed for myself, 
so that they shall show forth my praise. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I find this message really practical this morning. Because when we come back to worship together in a few weeks, and we look around, and we fill this sanctuary for the first time, and we look around at one another, we need to consider one another. We need to consider that we are worshiping with people just like me, just like us, that have no real merits. It's not their goodness that got them to this place. We need to look around and see those people that we might tend to judge and criticize and see them as people just like us. They have insecurities. They have hurt and pain. We need to look around and see that everybody gathered here, they're just like us. They're people who were created by God and for him. We need to consider who we are worshiping with. We're fellow pilgrims. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We're the family of God, the people of God, the body of Christ. And we need to consider who we are worshiping with. Number two, um, when I'm told to consider one another, I need to consider how, not just who, but how they have come to this place of worship. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a journey. Everybody who gathers for worship has a story. So don't be so quick to judge. A grocery store checkout clerk once wrote to an advice columnist. Some of you will remember Ann Landers. To complain that she had seen people buy luxury food items like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp with their food stamps. The writer went on to say that she thought these people on welfare who treated themselves to such non-necessities were lazy and wasteful. It was just a few weeks later that Lander's column was devoted entirely to people who had responded to the grocery clerk. Woman, one woman wrote, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down. The shrimp casserole that I made for our wedding anniversary dinner lasted for three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman should have had a different view of life or would have had had she walked a mile in my shoes. Another woman wrote Ann Landers and said, I'm the woman who bought a $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know, what it, it was the cake for my little girl's birthday. And it will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. Bottom line is, you never know what other people are dealing with. Everyone who gathers for worship has needs. That if we have a way of meeting those needs, we need to do our best to meet them and share with them what we have. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 7. The Syrians 
had sieged the city of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of Israel. The Syrians had surrounded the city, and because they had surrounded the city for some time, there was no food in the city, no way to go in and out, and no way to get water, and the people were starving, and they were dying inside the city. Just outside the city, beyond the uh, Syrian camp, were four lepers, or just inside the Syrian camp, there were four lepers, they were dying, they were outcasts. And they looked at one another and they said, you know what? We're starving too. We got two choices. We could go into the city or stay here in the city and we would die with everybody else. Or we could take our chances and go out and ask the Syrians if they might have a little grace and give us a little bit of their food since they have all of our food anyway. And the worst thing that can happen is they could kill us. But why do we sit here until we die? We might as well go and see what happens. And so what unbeknownst to them... That night, God sent the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. And the Syrians fled. They left their tents. They took off. They headed home. And they left all their tents full of foodstuff and silver and gold. And here these four lepers made their way out to the tents of the Syrians. And they pulled the flap back on one. And they couldn't believe no one was in there. And They pulled back a flap of a second. There was no Syrian to be found. And they just were sure that the Syrians were camped back and they were going to charge on them. But after a while, they realized there were no Syrians around. And they started ransacking those tents and filling their faces with food and stuffing their bags with silver and gold. And they realized they had walked into a jackpot. And finally, one of them said to the other, this is not a good thing we're doing. This is a day of good tidings. This is a day of good news. This is a day of glad tidings. We've been blessed and we're stuffing our faces with it. And there are people that are dying in the city. And so they ran into the city and they told the people and all the people came out and their need was met. We need to consider one another. Needs that we can meet. That person worshiping next to you on that first Sunday when you come back, what is their need that you can meet? Consider one another and what brought them here. How they got here. What is their story? Everyone who gathers for worship has buried pain and buried hurts. If we're going to consider one another, we have to help them bear that pain. It's easy to say a prayer and Expect their pain to go away and just kind of dump it on God and them. If they don't have enough faith, they won't have their need met. But if their pain doesn't go away, we're off the hook. It's God's problem. But it's not what we've been called to when we are called to consider one another. Popular author and speaker, Brene Brown, recently described what she called a breakdown that propelled her to go back to church. In a video interview, she said, I definitely went back to church for the wrong reasons. I really went because this is hard and this hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they always say, go back to church. That's what everybody does. So she said, I went back to church thinking it would be like an epidural. Like it would take the pain away. Like I would just replace research with church. You know, the church would make the pain go away. 
And then I discovered that faith in church was not like an epidural at all. It was more like a midwife who just stood next to me and said, push, it's supposed to hurt. I think as the people of God, we need to consider one another in their hurts and pains and not give them cheesy little answers like if we pray this prayer and you have enough faith, the pain will go away and then walk away from them. We're not an epidural. We're like midwives to stand with them and encourage them to persevere. Keep pushing. It's supposed to hurt, but on the other side, there will be an amazing blessing. God has called us to consider one another and how they came to this place. And finally, and I'll finish with this, I should consider what I can do to help those who worship with me. Let us consider one another, the writer of Hebrews says, to stir up love and good works. Stir up is what the King James says, or stir up in the King James is provoke. The Greek word is parakousmos. It's a strong word. word. Provoke normally has a negative connotation. It means incitement or irritation. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas had such a great contention between the two of them, the word was parakousmos. There was strife, there was incitement, there was provocation. And so he says, we are to provoke one another. So in other words, as forcefully as some incite and provoke others to anger, we should do that much to provoke one another to good works. What are the good works that we are to provoke one another to? Certainly the opposite of the dead works that the Hebrews had previously known that animal sacrifices could not take away. How much more? Hebrews 9, 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works. So the writer of Hebrews said, don't, don't provoke them to dead works. Provoke them to good works. These works were works that they had once done. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9, the writer says, beloved, we are Confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget the work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you minister to the saints and you continue to minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and the full assurance of hope until the end. So you don't become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. At one time they had done good works. Now they were afraid. Now life was rough. Now we are in a lockdown and life is difficult, but we are to provoke one another to good works that we used to do. They were good works that they had done before trial and persecution. But some of them were wavering. And the writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to good works. They had done good works to serve others. But when they had been tried and pressured, they had turned inward. We're going to come back in a few weeks. And when we do, we need to encourage or provoke one another to get back at it. Accountability, to love God passionately, to love others, to do good works, because good works are what we were created for. Remember this verse earlier, Ephesians 2.10? 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has created us for that. Good works that will glorify God. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how do we provoke one another to good works? A few ways. You do it with a positive or a cheerful word. Proverbs 12 and verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You know what? We're going to come back in a few weeks and we may be next to a person that has lost a job or maybe lost a loved one overridden with anxiety. How do you encourage them to good works? You give them a good word. That's what makes them glad. It's a merry heart. The writer of Proverbs says that do with good like a medicine. Proverbs seventeen twenty two. but a broken spirit dries the bones a good word. We, we provoke one another to good works by sharpening the spiritual awareness of others. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens ice as iron sharpens iron. So the countenance, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now we have used that verse wrong. Let me take just a comment or two. This is not about confrontation. Some people like to say, it's iron sharpening iron and I'm going to confront you and I'm going to debate you. That's not what it is at all. You don't use an ax to sharpen a hoe. Or you don't use a hoe to sharpen an ax. Use a file. It's not something as big and strong. It's something much more gentle. You sharpen the spiritual awareness of others, not by debating them or confronting them, but you do it by your behavior, by your attitude, by your kind words, by your love for Jesus, by your passion to see the good instead of the bad. We sharpen one another's spiritual awareness. It's how we provoke them to good works. And finally, by returning good for evil. I think one of my favorite passages, 1 Peter 3, 8, 9, Finally, brother, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. How do you incite people to good works? You bless instead of curse. You don't retaliate but you speak kindness and you speak good words. Selfless worship. Let us consider one another. We have so much to learn and what a great time to learn it. We've been put on hold for a while as far as gathering. And we're going to come back in a few weeks. And when we do, we need to consider who am I worshiping with? They're just like me. They're undeserving. They have hangups, but they're created by God for good works. When you consider how they got there, instead of judging them, what is their journey? And then we consider, we need to consider what I knew to help them. In their book, Known, by uh, Dick and Ruth Foth, Dick Foth, a great writer. They talk about during the Great Depression, there were nine ordinary young men from the University of Washington who had an extraordinary dream. 
They labor together in effort and accountability as an embryonic rowing team so that they could someday take on stronger rowing programs like Cal Berkeley and Harvard and Yale. That dream was realized and they won. In his magnificent book, The Boys in the Boat, Daniel James Brown describes what the boys coach saw as they worked with and for each other. Here's how he describes it. He heard them declare their dreams and confess their shortcomings. He learned to see hope where a boy thought there was no hope. He observed the fragility of confidence and the redemptive power of trust. Brown details the grueling training schedules, early mornings and late nights, the lack of money and their desire to quit. He examines the lives and the challenges of each of the young athletes and their long years striving for victory. And then he tells what the coach discovered as nine friends fought for their dream. He came to understand how those almost mystical bonds of trust and affection, if nurtured correctly, might lift a crew above the ordinary sphere, transport it to a place where nine boys, listen, somehow become one thing, a thing that could not quite be defined, a thing that was so in tune with the water and the earth and the sky above, that as they rode, effort was replaced by ecstasy. It was a rare thing, a sacred thing, a thing devoutly to be hoped for. In 1936, those nine young men took their rowing shell, the Husky Clipper, to Hitler's Germany to take on the world in Olympics. And they brought home the gold They shared dreams, pushed them to excel. What would happen if glad tidings considered one another so well that we became one thing, the body of Christ reaching into Muncie and Delaware County, into Dunkirk and Jay County, into Hartford City and Blackford County. If we rode together, because we considered one another, what would happen for the kingdom? What victories might we experience if we could together become one? Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you for the challenge of your word that has called us as the body of Christ to bask in this position in your presence this opportunity and privilege called worship, but as we do, to consider one another. Lord, I pray for those who may be listening today or watching today that don't know you, have never made Jesus the Lord of their life. Would they right now just simply pray, Jesus, I want you to come and live inside of me. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been confused. Maybe somebody in church has done you wrong. But today you feel and sense the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. May that person right now say, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Live inside of me. Be my Lord and Savior. And I pray, God, that for all of us, in a few weeks we're going to return and I pray that we will never be the same, but that we will be that church 
At Glad Tidings will be a place where we consider one another and encourage and provoke one another to being all that you've called us to be. I thank you for that so much. Thank you for doing that in our lives individually. And now make us the people of God that you've called us to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for responding to the word of God today. If you maybe prayed and invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life or somehow God spoke to you in this service, I encourage you to email us or call us at the church and tell us what God is doing in your life. We'd love to help you in your walk with Christ and help you become even deeper in your relationship with him. I want to invite you to stick around now and worship with us in just a few moments. Uh, Our worship team will come and lead us in worship. Just before that, we have just a couple of reminders, a couple of important announcements we want to share with you. And then we're going to join together in a time of worship. And uh, we invite you to stay around even for the five minutes of prayer at the end. Thank you so much. And God bless you.